Welcome to the Rough Road Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Steele. Today I have with me uh, my good friends, Matt and Amy Watson. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little about yourself, Matt. I'm Matt. Uh, Amy's my wife. We have four sons, and we're good friends of Lee Steele, host of the Rough Roads Podcast. <laughs> so you guys grew up in Utah, right? Did grow up in Utah. Grew up in uh, Bountiful, Utah. We now live in Mesa, Arizona. High school sweethearts. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. What uh, about you, Amy? Yeah, Bountiful, Utah. I was on the west side of the tracks. Matt was on the east. <laughs> she was on the nice part of the neighborhood. <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the west side. Always been on the west side. Uh, she's Matt. Quality. Is the west side bad? I'm not familiar no, with that. No, actually, I really wasn't on the west side. I just, Matt lived on the hill. I was oh, not on the hill. The hill. I know I the was, hill in Bountiful. I was down in the, you know, ghetto. Yeah. I so. was in the ghetto on the hill. <laughs> but you lived on the hill, so that counts. That still puts you a notch above non-hill yeah. lovers. He came down to get me. <laughs> Pretty much. I know all about uh, living on the wrong side of the tracks, so... Mm. I know all yeah, about that. That's right. So, right. I was in the ghetto, yeah. too. I was in the outskirts of town. There you go. You know, so I know all about that. But anyway, what uh, what we're here tonight to not talk about tonight is you having your son, Sam, and the difficulties that went along with that. So You betcha. Who wants to start? I'll start. Nice. Um, he's our fourth son, so we had three boys at the time. We had a eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. And it was a Saturday in October, and it was a super busy day. We got our family Christmas pictures taken for some reason in October, which is very early. Was it because the trees were changing? <clears throat> oh, we had an appointment at Target. No, there's no trees then. Okay. Yeah. Just decided it was good to Just have pictures. Just went and got our pictures taken and got some tires changed on one of the cars. I canned grape juice clean the house you're the first person i've ever met that's canned grape juice yeah i did did it that day did lots of other stuff and it was about eight o'clock at night eight thirty. i got the sprinkler system turned off and everything was ready to roll everything was winterized i was relaxing that night about what was it 10 o'clock or so i think it was a little bit earlier but you had fallen asleep so he was downstairs asleep watching the news and our two-year-old that's what i do when i watch the news too i sleep our two-year-old would not go to sleep without somebody laying by him in bed so i had gone up and was laying by him in bed and i was tired and i was i was 18 weeks pregnant so actually we'd had just a few complications and so we really hadn't announced i was pregnant until about a month earlier so people didn't even know really that i was pregnant too much so I laid down with Trace and kind of dozed off, and I started having a dream like I was laying on a beach. And I could feel the waves. They started coming up and then going back out and coming up and going back out. And all of a sudden, I sat straight up in bed, and I realized it was not a dream. I was sloshing. There was water coming up. And going out, coming up and going out. <laughs> it's quite a dream. Very and, vivid. Uh, 
<laughs> well, you, you have those dreams where things are happening yeah. and you kind of incorporate them. Yeah. And so it I usually happens to me if I'm listening to the radio and I'm asleep or the TV. Yeah. And you whatever hear sirens, they're saying, you yeah, start whatever, whatever's happening about on that. the TV or the radio, yeah. then it incorporates into my dream. So I was laying on a beach and, and the waves came up and out and up and out. And then. And you um, realized that wasn't I, waves. I sat straight up and realized it's me. I'm sloshing. So. I jumped up and ran and realized my water. Were you in pain no, from that? No, not at all. Not at all. I know you screamed. Just my water. Nervous. Lost all my water. It just all came gushing out, and I screamed for Matt, and he, I don't know, he was downstairs sleeping. So yeah. so you like you jumped up? Jumped up, ran up. So what's going on? I said, I lost my water. I think my water broke. And I don't know that he really believed me. Yeah, like, <laughs> what? It's like, what? sure (laughs) yeah i'm pretty darn sure i'm sure my water broke but i don't think he really believed it for quite a while well i wasn't sure what had happened so we hurried and called the what's the line when you call your doctor and he's not in right the after hours line. yeah the after after hours hours. line or whatever and so the nurse there said you need to get to the hospital so we debated whether to go to Katy in Ogden or just go down into LDS in Salt Lake. Well, she said, get to your nearest hospital. So we decided, okay, we're heading to Ogden. My sister lived in the basement. So my husband ran down and got her and said, hey, we got to go to the hospital, come up and stay with our boys. So was it a separate, was the downstairs like separated from the house or was it connected? No, it, was, it was connected. It was somewhat connected. It was open. Didn't have a door to go down. Yeah, there. but she there was a couple bedrooms and a bath down there, mm-hmm. so she lived with us. So anyway, we took off for the hospital, and while we were on our way, the doctor, the on-called doctor, called, and I told him what had happened, and he said, where are you at? And I said, well, we're on our way to McKady. And he said, well, can't help you at McKady because my doctor was in Salt Lake, and so... He said, if you can get down to Salt Lake, get to Salt Lake. So we turned around and drove to Salt Lake instead. So we're on our way to Salt Lake and riding along in our automobile and thinking and praying and trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And so when we, you know, there we didn't talk a lot. We were just kind of in shock. So we went... Uh, we were just heading to Salt Lake, and I remember just having a very vivid thought, an impression that uh, this is going to be hard, but it's going to be okay. And we got into the hospital. Did you have any impressions, Amy, while you were doing that? No, now? I was terrified. Had no you- thoughts, no impressions, <laughs> no, had no idea. Well, I was expecting we, we were going to go and have a baby, actually. Right. I mean, they don't say babies at 18 weeks. I was 18 weeks pregnant not possible to save a baby at that point so so we just went went to the hospital went to the emergency room they did a little examination oh it took a long time we won't go into that but we were there for probably six hours before they realized oh yeah her water broke that sounds like every emergency room i've ever been to i I think they they thought i peed my pants essentially is what everybody thought and so every intern that I was I was a <laughs> guinea pig for everybody to come through and try and come look at oh, her. Yeah, she's pregnant. She really peed her pants, but she thinks she her thinks water broke. 
So she was asleep. She has no idea. At some point, I said, uh, <clears throat> "Is my baby still alive?" And this was like the head doctor there. Not they're still the people in the emergency room. Generally, are just what are they? They're like in training. So it was the head person there, and he he kind of looked at me and he said, "Have we done any like fetal heart tones?" So they hurried and did that, and they said, yeah, he's still alive. And then they did that strip test and said, oh, yeah, it's amniotic fluid. I said, yeah, I kind of told you it was amniotic fluid. He said, well, how much did you lose? I said, like, quartz. I lost quartz. And he was like, oh, boy. So then they sent us up for an ultrasound and put me in the hospital, hospitalized me. And it was a weekend, so there, my doctor wasn't on call. And We found out he was a boy yeah. when they did the ultrasound. He was a boy. You didn't know no. before that? Already, we didn't know that. Before. We didn't know before that. I'd had a chest done, actually, at 13 weeks, but, but they, they, wasn't they were pretty sure definitive. it was a boy. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, we could see him in there. He's still alive. He's kind of moving around just a little bit, but with no water, they lose their ability to move when they're in utero. So there was just a few little pockets of water in there, and so... So what do they do in that scenario then? Once you lose your water like that, is there anything they can do to? Can they put fluid back in you? Is there not? There's nothing they can do. Not Amniotic back then. fluid is baby pee. Yeah. So he baby yeah pee. They, he keeps producing. But it just he keeps peed running out until he came out. But it just keeps coming out because of the hole in the in the amniotic sac. So, so they hospitalized me. They said you're just going to stay here, and you know chances are you're going to go into labor. So just keep you here and observe you for a few days and it was over the weekend so there's like the specialists aren't there on the weekend generally so we just waited until Monday when my doctor came in and we'd seen some other specialists before my doctor got there and they encouraged us just to terminate the pregnancy and of course you're against that because naturally you know what yeah naturally against it but really considered it probably yeah. more than my husband because well, I, had, I did i had three young boys at home right. and i was at risk now like if i get an infection then it can kill me right so um because of those reasons it's technically okay to terminate the pregnancy. well what we did is you were hospitalized for medical reasons you could do that you were hospitalized it was a sunday then so by now it's Sunday morning, so I called our bishop and I told him what had happened and that I wouldn't be at bishopric meeting and then I went to church, I left you, went up to church, had the boys, I think it was... Did they was, know what was I going think, on? I think it was the primary program or something. I can't remember. Did your boys know no, what was going on? Like, did you tell um, not, them anything? I mean, they're pretty young, so. Yeah, they, not necessarily, not yet, I don't think. So, but after church, I met with the bishop, and we reviewed some um, guidelines from the presiding councils of the church about when abortion is justified, and that included when it was, the mother's life was in danger, the the likelihood of the baby surviving birth was minimal as determined by sound medical professionals and the other one was rape and incest so we had two out of the three the the doctors when they told us what had happened and confirmed everything they said 
you know, he'd have a 2% chance of surviving birth. He would have, his lungs would be the consistency of wood, that his um, limbs, he would have contractures because, meaning that they would be fused, his limbs would be fused because he wouldn't be able to move his limbs around in the womb. And so they'd be stuck in the same position and just gave us a very dire outlook and and so they'd seen it a lot before. I mean, it's not a real common of. thing, but for us, that common was something enough. you know unheard of. We had no idea. But once, I mean, they had seen this over and over again, and just knew that the outcome was not good. So chances so are when, so slim. When you guys made the choice to not abort and to take it as long as it would, you know, take it as far as term as it as he would go, um, did. Did you just hope that everything would be all right? I mean, or what was the... Um, I was very heavy with that decision because I felt like I'm going to have to decide to terminate my son. He's in there alive, and it's going to be my fault. I'm going to terminate him, possibly. And that's a heavy decision to make. But my doctor, who was LDS, or a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, (laughs) he came in on Monday and I said what am I going to do and he looked at me and said what do you mean what are you going to do he said you're going to go home he said you're not going to do anything unfortunately you're not doing anything from here on out but I mean you we had decided we were leaning to to waiting it out and then he came there and confirmed that but it was it wasn't a clear decision if he would have come in and said you know what you need to go the other way we would have gone the other way. We may have gone the other way, but well, he but just, we were, he just we weren't, solidified yeah, we that weren't decision firm. very. Yeah. And it well it was a huge relief for me. I felt like I really didn't have to like make this major decision. And well, I did. Well, <laughs> Somebody you, you, did. You did your part of the decision, and I kind of relied on the medical and on him. And so he said, "We're going to send you home." He said, "Chances are this isn't going to." work out like you want it to right <laughs> did did the medical staff did they did you ever feel like they were trying to push you towards abortion or they were definitely encouraging they can't they can't well they can't they i know can't they come can't out and say that but, but yes you know what i'm they saying were. They, they said you do not have to feel guilty this right. is not your fault there's nothing you have done this is so th- that's probably what made your decision is, so hard is that they, it's more you're morally against it right your beliefs are against it, and so you don't. But, but not really. I mean, well, they are because you are you are questioning whether you should. Well, or not. in some ways, but in in the guidelines, I mean, we right. from our from our you know our spiritual perspective. But even then, it says in the guidelines that that we read together with the bishop, it says you know even when these circumstances are met, you should still make it a matter of you know careful consideration and prayer. Right, and so. I can see why somebody might choose to abort a child in a circumstance like that. I don't, I'm not making a judgment one way or the other. It's just not the choice that you guys made. It's just not the one that we did. So. But you probably felt a little pressure from the medical staff too. Well. Not pressure, but but just 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 understanding what, what. Maybe giving you their perspective of what they've seen and how bad it can be. This child is not going to survive. And, and your life is going to be and miserable. And yeah, and it's not just that. They it were was letting that us know. I wasn't worried so much about that, but that I have three young children, and right. my life is now at risk. 
because because the womb is open, anything yeah. that gets in the womb right. can cause an infection, and then it will and they told take my that. life quickly. And they, yeah, the doctor said, you go home, and you're going to stay in bed, and you'll take your temperature three times a day, and if you have any sort of a fever, you get in here. And he said, we will not save the baby. We are not worried about him. We will save your life. We, we won't save his. We have to worry about you. And so when so, you heard that, how did that, how did that affect you? I was okay with it because I had already, I mean, he had said, you're not going to do anything. You're going to go home. He, he said, this is not in your hands. You're not in control of this anymore. Right. He said, you go home and sit in bed. So you'd you're already came to bed. terms with it. Yeah. He said, whatever happened, you'd came to terms right. with it. You're gotcha. going to go to bed. And he said, chances are, this isn't going to turn out the way you want it to. It's, it's, it's just not. Right. He said, and if it does, it's going to be really, really hard. This is going to be harder than you think. And so anyway, he said, you just go home and you do those things and. So that's what I did. Was it at that point? So then you were okay with it then at that point. Whatever happened, you were well, you think fine with it to a right? point. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. As well as you can be. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you, you go, go home, home, you're on bed rest. Then what? I'm on bed rest for two and a half months. And I... How often did you have to get checked since he was without the fluid in there? Did they check you often? often. No? I, that's surprising. Mm, I went and saw a specialist who put me on an antibiotic. Nobody up until that point had put me on an antibiotic because I think nobody thought there was any chance. And the specialist who saw me said, I don't know why nobody's put you on an antibiotic just to prevent infection. Just in case. Because there's a good chance you're going to get one, so why not just have you on an antibiotic? So So this is kind of a little funny thing that I'm experiencing right now is tonight's election night. And election night in 2002... You spiked a fever. Mm. And I was at work. We had to go to the hospital. And I remember driving home. And was I it was because like, the wrong party won? <laughs> the fever? No? I don't remember even watching this stuff that Oh, I, I do. Mitt Romney lost the senatorial <laughs> race in Massachusetts. We were watching it in the hospital. But anyway. Um, so I remember driving home from work and thinking, did I really think that what, what on earth did that mean? That this is going to be okay, but it's gonna, it's, this is going to be hard, but it's going to be okay. Because now that you spiked a fever, I'm taking you to the hospital, and they're going to terminate this little guy. And I just remember thinking... How, so how yeah. long had it been to that point since your water broke? I don't remember, because I went to the hospital a few times. Okay, so that was November times. 5th, and your water broke on October 19th. So it was what? So half a October month. October 19th. So it was about... Two, two and a half weeks, three weeks huh. since that all happened. And so we, you'd been on your back for a little bit, but you'd spiked the fever. You called me. I came home from work that night. It was probably 7 o'clock by the time I got home. I didn't vote, just so you didn't know. That's true. I didn't vote that. I was going to go vote, but we had to go to the hospital. So I didn't vote and went to the hospital. And you spent the night in the hospital, and fever subsided, and that was it. You didn't go into labor, and they didn't take the little man, and and we kept hanging in there. So you came home the next day, and then you stayed on your back, and we were. I had submitted my resignation to Primary Children's the Monday before his, your water broke, so I was trying to wrap up work at Primary Children's. And then, Did you submit it because of the situation, or it was no, before that? It was you the just, mo- it was the Monday before. The Monday before this happened, I I got an offer from hmm. LDS Family Services, and and uh, 
you were going to take quit it. At, yeah, I quit uh, at, at Primary Children's, and and then we went. We went um, and just kept going along, and you stayed on your back. And Were there any other... So between that time and when you had Sam, were there any other times where you got a fever or anything like that? Or was that the only one? You know, I remember going in a few times, and I can't remember why, because we'd always go up to the labor and delivery, and they would just shake their head and say, Honey, we can't get you in here until you're 24 weeks. You're going to have to go to the emergency room. And they kind of just got <laughs> to know me, and they would say, got to get you to 24 weeks so you can just be admitted here because at 24 weeks they were going to admit me in the hospital but until then anything I came in for I had to right. go down to the emergency room and they couldn't they couldn't just take me on that floor right so we had all kinds of other things so we didn't have that happen we did have some other kind of interesting experiences happen I went to work and because we we're in medical billing you know I talked to our billing specialists and thought oh, man how are we going to afford this because we're going to have two full deductibles, you know, we're going to be paying our full deductible this year. We're going to be paying our full deductible next year. If this all works out, we're going to be, this is going to cost us a boatload of money. And so I put my car up for sale. Actually, I told you about Aflac. Yeah. Remember that? And, uh, my, which is awesome. My way. billing, yeah, Aflac. my billing uh, <laughs> person told us to look into Aflac and I thought, Aflac, how can this help? You know, it's pretty, you know, Who's going to insure you for a pre-existing condition? So she said, look in Aflac. So I went home and told you that. The next day, I put my car for sale at lunch, called you tell you that, and the Aflac lady was at our house wow. signing Amy up for Aflac. And I was like, what? What kind How of scam do is this? <laughs> yeah, and we I were very, you, I, I mean, she knew my condition. I was laying on the couch. My water was broken. And she, she signed me house. up for $10 a month for high-risk pregnancy. And if anything... It was intensive care insurance. Oh, yeah, intensive care insurance, meaning if I had to go into intensive care, if the baby had to go into intensive care, they paid us a certain amount right. per day. $200 first day, $400 days 2 through 7, and $800 a day, days 8 through 15. So About we, 10, signed, bucks. we signed up for that for $10. And I best, thought I thought ten dollars of your it life. Was like, why would <laughs> yeah, you do this? Yeah, it ended up being... They were taking the risk that... Right. You know, the baby would not survive or would never go to the NICU. Was I thought it was a total risk, scam, but, but I thought 10 bucks a day, whatever. And I, so I called no, her. 10 bucks, 10 bucks a, a month. month. 10 bucks a month, yeah. yeah. Right. So I called her supervisor, and I was like, are you sure you want to do this? You're telling me that you're, if I pay 10 bucks a month, you're going to pay me 10 grand. Because if he survives, he's going into the NICU, and you're going to be paying me the big bucks. Right. She's like, yeah. It's like, are you sure? So like, did you right. have an other insurance besides that at the time? We did. We just had el our health insurance. At that point in time, it was through IHC, through Intermountain Healthcare. Mm -hmm. So we just had our insurance from Intermountain Healthcare. That's a cuss word where I come from. Oh, that's great. Okay, so here's just something, though, that was um, not clear at the time, but after the fact, looking back on the whole experience, you could see how there's a God who right. knew what was coming and so even a year or so before, he started putting things in place because he knew this crisis that lasted right. years was coming. So my sister moved in the basement. So she was there, and my kids loved her. So she was able to just kind of take over somewhat. 
my husband, he switched jobs. Yeah. So he switched from IHC to the Church of painful. Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Never in a million years did I want to leave primary children's. I love that job. But he had started his job at LDS Family Services on December 1st, and Sam was born on December 7th. So we had a high-risk lady working with me. I was hospitalized the day after Thanksgiving or something. Mm-hmm. The weekend after Thanksgiving, I went into Monday, the hospital. Yep. And the lady that worked with me, she found out that Matt had changed jobs. And she said, oh, she said, I can't work with you anymore then. I only work for IHC employees. She said, you know what? You need to go back to IHC and ask them if you can work for one day. Because if you can work for one day for them, they will cover you for another month. So he had no time off at his work. He'd started one week before, so he talked to his boss and said, hey, is there any way I can take a day off of this job that I just started a week ago and go back and work at my old job for one day? And he called his old people and said, is there any way I can come back and work for one day so I can get the health coverage? And they all said, yeah. Super nice people. So he went back and worked a day at IHC and picked up the IHC insurance again for one month. Yeah. So, one so week, it covered all the, most well, of the medical one expenses. One week later, Sam was born after yeah. he had done that. So, so we then were, we had IHC, LDS Family Services. And AFLAC. and AFLAC. We were triple covered with insurance. Wow. Yeah. It's surprising they so, let you go back for that week and that they let you miss a day so you could do that. Just nice people old I job. with. <laughs> yeah. Great bosses. You did. So, <laughs> Thank you, Julie Bradshaw. Thank you. Chris Anderson. Financially, though, we were, things were we never had to sell that put car. in place and taken care of for us. So that was a huge blessing, the Lord's hand in our life right there. Yeah. So he was born now. What was the state that he was in at that point? How, how early of delivery well, was that? Well, you were admitted. At, I was admitted at. You, admitted on, you were admitted on a Monday. I was admitted at 24 weeks. Yeah. And I was going to stay till I was 34 weeks. They were going to induce me at 34 weeks. So I was going to be at the hospital for two and a half months. And Matt was going to run the house with my sister. And I just sat in a hospital room. I was a bachelor. It was interesting. Bachelor with kids. It was. You were a single dad for that time. For for about a week. It was was a little bit much. Yeah. (laughs) So I actually felt like I was having contractions and I would tell them that, but they didn't pick up on any contractions until one lady did because I was so little, like there was no fluid in me and my baby weighs one pound. So I didn't even look pregnant and they didn't have the belt positioned right. And when she positioned it right, she said, oh my goodness, you're in labor. So then they stopped my labor. That was on a Saturday. Well, they stopped my labor once before, sent me over to labor and delivery, stopped it. Then they finally got it stopped, sent me back. You brought the kids up to see me. We were going to watch a movie, and I was having contractions again. You're in immense pain. So then uh, we had him that night. So how many weeks was he at that point? 25. Wow. So So what statistically, um, I'm sure you know this statistic or close to it, um, a, a baby that's born at 25 weeks, statistically, what's their, 
how often you know, do they I, how often do they not make it? I think it's pretty common that they make it. I mean, their statistics are pretty good that they survive. But with Samuel, the issue was he hadn't had any amniotic right. fluid for so, so long. Those right. statistics are two percent. So he had eighteen week old lungs. Yeah. So it, it was still and I don't think two percent even though you even though you carried him two percent. They didn't they didn't expect him to survive. Nobody did. And I think that's probably arbitrary. In 2%, they didn't they didn't tell us that. They just pretend like you know. We'll just see what happens here, but nobody expected yeah. him to survive. So they so, took you into, you were in labor, but then he really started, his heart rate accelerated. He was up to 200 beats a minute. It was pretty, pretty messy. So they said they'd have to do a cesarean. And so they took you in and the resident, the OBGYN female resident she no, my doctor came he remember did. he called but he said don't helped, don't do anything helped. i want to get there yeah but she she was kind of directing traffic mm. and uh till he got there no recollection of that yeah he, she was she did a good job she was really good you were but, probably already on the drugs at that point strapped on the table uh, you were in tons of pain you were squeezing my hand <laughs> screaming at the nurses you were you were screaming at me actually <laughs> <laughs> And then once that happened, then, uh, then you, uh, he, uh, he was born and they Okay, so here's the little story about that. Matt was videoing and we have this on video. So he's, I mean, we have no clue. We don't know. So, and I'm, I'm. You're not even, I'm not even point? a part of it, essentially. But Matt, so Matt was there with Sam and the nurse. They're trying to work on him, and they're sewing me up. And Matt's over with Sam and the nurse. And um, he was at was he at two percent no. oxygen? He was, was, he was at nine percent. Yeah. So they gave him a little shot of medicine, and we don't know anything about the like stats and stuff like that. And he shot up to fifteen percent. And so you can hear it on the video. Matt says. Oh wow, he's doing really good. That was really good. That medicine really helped him. And the nurse was really tender and cute, and she just said, mm, "He's not doing very good." And Matt said, "Oh really? What should he be at?" And she said, "He should be at a hundred. No, ninety-five. Oh, ninety-five. Okay, he should be at ninety-five percent oxygen, and he was at nine <laughs> percent oxygen. And they, they got went him up to fifteen. They right? got him up to fifteen is where they could get him to. And I thought, hey, he's doing great." He's yeah. fighting through this. Said, what's, what's he supposed to be at? Oh, he's supposed to be at under. And then they told me I had to t- turn off the video camera because liability or, you know, there's probably tons of reasons. But anyway. Do you regret that? Not being able to video it? No. You're fine with well, that? Well, it would have been nice. That's why I had the video camera right. there. But but I can understand from being on the side of a provider why they wouldn't want us video Right. So then they take him away to go try and work on him some, and um, sorry, that was my phone. <laughs> I mean, everybody might as well just know, right? So they take him to try and go work on him, and uh, and Matt, they're going to be transporting him to a to Primary Children's Hospital from the hospital he was born at. So Matt was going to go with him. But, and I was clueless again. I had no idea why, but they had me on the gurney and they wheeled me to the elevator and we were waiting for Samuel to come down because they wanted me to see him, which I didn't know why at the time, but it's because they knew he was going they to die. They thought he wasn't going to make yeah, it. Yeah, so I needed to see him. And I couldn't see him anyway because I was laying flat on a gurney. 
And he was inside a, an incubator. incubator. And it took about an hour, and we just sat there for an hour. And finally, he came down with the medical, the paramedics, and this whole little team. And so they kind life. of tried to hold me up so I could see him. And then they took him and followed him up in the ambulance to primary children's and went through the neighborhood where Elizabeth Smart lived and she was still missing at this point in time and so there were signs all over this neighborhood between Ilya's hospital and, <laughs> and primary children's you know bring Elizabeth home and those kinds of things so we get up to primary children's and they delicately take him up to the NICU and make me wait in this waiting room <clears throat> while they try and stabilize him and I'm just waiting, 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 and there's all kinds of brochures and pamphlets about disability services and social security this, and, you know, read everything I could, and then they finally came in and got me and said, Mr. Watson, you want to come see your son? So I walked back there, and the doctor says, Mr. Watson, your son is very ill. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Good diagnosis, Doc. <laughs> He was very kind. He was a very... He was a very good he doctor. Very, he was. He was very... Very... And they there had to be very careful, too. They always... Mm -hmm. They never... I wish somebody would have just said, you know what? Chances are not good here. I, we, th we think he's going to die. Well, they but did they, that. They can't say that. They're always just saying he's Eventually very ill. Your son, they kept saying, is the, is the illest, the most ill child in our in our. He's on death's unit. doorstep. He was, he was the worst off child in the NICU for months. So we were just kind of living on death's doorstep and hanging in there, and you came up the next day. I went and got you. It was a couple you. days later. No, it was the next day. Are you sure? Yeah. And I came and got you in your wheelchair, and it was extremely painful for you, and wheeled you into the, up to the NICU. The, you hadn't been discharged from the hospital yet. Right. I was just on a field trip. Yep. They gave you a leave, so I went and got you, and we t went up there and saw him, and it was just sad. It was just... Well, we had to wait for about an hour because he had died pretty much while we were yeah. waiting and they had to resuscitate him and bring him back he was sad it was just really sad it was really what's sad. their what's their rules on that in a, with the baby in that situation do they have to try to resuscitate or what's the you know what i think they do because i we asked him after they brought us in and said you know what he just he just coded and we could hear somebody coding in there we had no clue it was our son but right. um and we were able to resuscitate him and i said well what are you going to do if that happens and we're not here because we just happen to be out there and she said we'll keep him alive until you get here we'll just bag him and keep their lungs going until you can get here so so we went up there we saw him spent a little time with him and then that was yeah, that was it was on a monday i didn't go the next day yeah that so was he, he was in the nicu did you could you go and you couldn't hold him, right? Because they, they wouldn't let you do that. Oh, you just, heck no. It was, he couldn't just, be touched. You just get to look at him. Yeah. yeah. He, he couldn't it's be like touched. A, he was in bad shape. It's like a zoo animal. Yeah. You just get to look at him through the glass, and that's it. He, he actually looked his... really good the first time I saw him because his kidneys weren't working. So he, he, he was retaining all of his fluid, so he looked like... Chubby. Not chubby, but he didn't look... Yeah, chubby. chubby for a one-pound baby. I thought he looked good. <laughs> And then the next time when I came, it was shocking because then his kidneys were working and he had peed off everything and he was just a skeleton and his skin is not very thick. So it was just... His eyes were fused. He was just a skeleton. And that was horrifying. That was like... It was a little bit weird. 
You're like, wait, I, they didn't yeah. say this to me. Yeah, it was awful. He's all bruised up. and Yeah, the delivery wasn't nice to him. So he was, he was a pound 14. He was 114. And How was, big is that? good size. Well, can you could, describe? He could, his, from his head to his feet were from my watch to the tips of my fingers. That's, he could wow. fit in my hand. So like when, eight inches maybe? <clears throat> when he was two months old when he, in February, I took off my ring. <clears throat> Excuse me. And put it over his arm and up his over his hand and all up the way his, his arm. armpit. Could go all, all, all was, the way up his arm. And what size ring is that? Is that like a? That's a size ten ring. 10. So. so it's not very big. No, it's not. He, Especially so for was, an arm. That's pretty he small. was just tiny, but we. That was a really hard time, and of course it's Christmas time at Primary Children's, and so there's lots of volunteers and lots of people trying to do positive things and help, and there's a volunteer orchestra right outside the NICU. We go out and they're playing deck the halls with boughs of holly fallow. <laughs> Tis the season to be jolly. And I remember thinking, would you knock that off? This is not a jolly time. Okay, I, you know, so we just. So right after he was born, after I'd been discharged, we did bring our boys up. We were able to bring them up and they got to see him and some other members of our family. But then. How did they take it, your boys? They were so little. Yeah. They didn't really understand. Because sometimes they can be pr- pretty brutally honest. Trace is yeah. two. Brayden was five. five. Brayden was ben probably was the most excited. Eight. But then. More excited than Ben? The first case of. Um, it, um, what do you call it? That respiratory disease that kids get. <laughs> Utah. Oh my goodness, everybody gets it. See, uh, what's it called? Um, RSV? Yes. Yeah, there you go was reported, and then they shut down the NICU. Then nobody under 12 is allowed in. So that was the last they saw of him, and the they didn't see him again. Him. Yeah. Nope. Of course, you guys were allowed to go in there. Did you have to yeah. mask up and everything oh, to go yeah. see him? Oh, yeah, scrubbed from yeah. scrub. elbows down, take off anything, Thirty seconds. gown up if it was yeah. high risk. Yeah. Hmm. It was so, pretty intense. So how long was, was he in that the NICU there? He was in there for five months, so he came home... <sighs> December, January, February, March, April. Come home in April or May. It was April. mid-April. Yeah. Yep. And, and he, there was a lot. It's too too intensive a story to just tell because yeah, there was right. just so much stuff that happened while he was in there. And at some home. point, he started making some good improvements, though, in order to come home at five months, right? Yeah, it was up and down, up and down. They On told us Christmas in Eve. Yeah. I mean, they did tell us. They said we've done everything we can. There's nothing else we can do for him. The we, only were, thing. we were trying not to bless him. We were trying to wait until he got out of the hospital to give him a name and a blessing. But yeah. They told us if you're going to do that kind of stuff, you need to. You're going to need to do it before Christmas. So. I remember talking to our bishop at that point too because we said he's he won't have a name and a blessing, and if they don't have a name and a blessing, they're not on the records of the church. They're not. So we did that. So we said, okay, let's go give him a name and a blessing, and so we had your dad and my dad. We'd given him lots of blessings, just not the, the name, name and the blessing. blessing. <laughs> so we named him Samuel Miller Watson, and then it was Christmas Eve, and Matt had a very faithful grandmother who, and he was at that point, they'd said, you know what, we can try some experimental procedures on him. That's the only thing we know to do now. We've, we've done everything we can, so we have some experimental medication that we could try. Um, we don't know what the effects of that will be or the long-term effects. We don't know how it will affect him in the future, but... The same doctor 
I believe it was the same one that admitted him, said, you know what, the way I look at it is if somebody comes in here and has having an asthma attack and they can't breathe, you do what you can to save them at the time. You don't worry about how, right. that, how that's going to affect them a month down the road. So we well, said, that's the fine. same thing when they go to bring you back too. Yeah. They do everything you can to yeah. bring them back right. to the code and don't worry about yeah. their state after. Right. So we said, okay, go ahead and try the experimental stuff on him and <clears throat> but little by little. Has any of that experimental stuff that they tried as it became Who knows? legal yeah, or anything? You have no idea. You never, I have know. No idea. You never yeah. know if how he is, if it would have been any different the other way. No, it, I mean do they <clears throat> it, has it became like oh, do they use legit. it now? Yeah, do they use it now? Yeah, That's, we don't know. We don't, don't keep know. up on it. We mm. haven't followed up. Yeah. But he would uh, be interesting to know. He you know, they'd have to poke him and draw blood from him. Couple like three times. times a day. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, the little guy just drove him nuts. I mean, he just... Well, he had a blood just, transfusion about every other day because he lost so much blood in yeah. some drawing blood. So then they... Uh, yeah, that's why I get blood. He... Uh, he... Every vein in his body had been used. So then they had to put a little... It went right into his heart. line into his heart where they could, uh, you know... In, just but test his yeah. blood gases. They had to do that all the time to see where his levels were. So he uh, he had this Broviac line, and they told us, oh, you know, there'll be a really tiny incision that we put in his neck and into his chest, and, you know, you won't even be able to see it. But, you know, when he gets older, you'll, you'll probably be able to see it when he gets older. So now he's yeah. got that scar on that his neck. That big scar on his neck, right? Yeah, he looks like he's been in a knife fight. <laughs> he basically we, was. We talk him up. Yeah. And he's got a little one right there, too, where it went into his, his chest. chest. So, yeah. 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 So he just kind of went through the ringer, but kept living. But uh, an experience that I had at that point was lost faith, honestly. I, I mean, I was to the point where thinking it's, I mean, we've been praying for him to live, right. hoping for it, but I didn't think it would happen. I lost hope that it would happen. So um, Matt's grandma, Matt's mom had passed away, but his grandmother was living with an aunt and the aunt had called on Christmas Eve and said, hey, I haven't seen Samuel yet. Grandma hasn't seen Samuel. She wants to come see him today. And so we said, okay, well, we're going up there on Christmas Eve. So come meet us up there. And only two people can go in at a time. So Matt and I and her couldn't be in there. But so she came in the NICU with me and I told her, I said, Grandma, I don't think this is going to work out. I kind of lost hope, lost faith. And she said, the Lord told me that this baby's coming home from the hospital. She said, so it's not going to be easy, but I know that you're going to bring this baby home. And so that did, that, did that change your, your feelings at that point? It did. I had so much faith in her faith that I didn't worry after that. I, and he, he got an infection, do you remember? And they mm-hmm. said it was going to go to his brain and he, he would be a vegetable. And they told me that and I just thought, yeah, whatever. You know what? Grandma said he's coming home, so not worried about what you say anymore. <laughs> yeah, everything they said, if this happens, he'll die. Or, you know, if she gets an infection, right. he'll go. Anytime, but everything that they said, they told us, like, worst case scenario, this is what will happen. Those things happened, but he didn't die. We were told, hey, just, you know, he's probably going to die in the next few days. So that's why we gave him a name and a blessing on December 21st. We were just hoping that he wouldn't die on Christmas Day. Right, and so we were just okay. Just our prayer was just let him, just let him live through Christmas. And uh, well, actually, even after that, it was so hard on him just to go see him because he was just so. They have tubes everywhere, and it just looks so uncomfortable. And he's just 
struggling so much. So we actually, our prayers at some point, I can't remember when it changed, but they changed to don't, don't make him stay here anymore. Just take him. Just take him. Don't leave him here. Right. And if that's... With all the issues and... If it's, it's your gonna, will, just don't, yeah. don't keep him here because of us. Yeah. We want him to stay, but if he's not, then... On Christmas, just don't make him stay here anymore. He had this nurse that kind of, he had nurses that he just did better with. It was weird. Like, it was like he knew them. And he had this favorite nurse. Vicky. No, Debbie. Oh, Debbie. Yeah, Debbie. And on nights when she was with him, he did great. Then he had this other one. She was horrible. For him. Well, she was. She was. We were told she was one of the best nurses on the unit, right. but he didn't get along with her, and and I didn't get along with her either because I was there one time and it, she accidentally meant to turn up the oxygen. She turned it all the way down. Oh boy! So I'm standing there looking. At it's a little mistake. <laughs> Shouldn't you give him a little bit of juice here? And I was just mad. I was just not happy. I didn't show it. Of course, you'd been through the ringer at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, you're. But you know, In everybody's state everybody's everybody's human, and so we just had to kind of let it go and say, okay. She it's did interesting that, and to her credit, she worked for us on Christmas Day, so I had to be grateful for her. It's interesting that he did better with some nurses and the same nurses. That's yeah. that's very a very interesting. He liked he liked his night nurse. His night nurse was Debbie. He liked her. We would call in. We spent the days with him, but we couldn't be there at night with him because Matt would Matt would get up at like four, get ready, go up to the hospital and spend time with him, and then go to work. I would get the kids off, then go up to the hospital and spend time with him. Come home. You still had Trace with you, though, didn't you? Since he was two, people would watch him every day for us. He had a set house that he would go to. That's cool. Every day of the week. People were really nice. Yeah. He would go after work and see him, and then come home, and we wouldn't see him at night. But we'd call every few hours and say, how's he doing? You kind of lived on edge just waiting for the call to come, too. Because if right. they said, well, we'll let you know if, if, if something happens. If you need to and then every time the phone rings, you're like, oh, yeah, no. Because did they have call ID then? They did, right? Yeah. yeah. Was, so you're always yeah. checking that. Primary out. Children's Hospital. 588-1000. <laughs> so we'd call up before bed and call up. Sometimes in the night, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and just go call him and say, hey, how's he doing? She'd say, oh, he's doing great. And we started so, his love and Debbie. Yeah, she was, <laughs> she was the six to six nurse or whatever. So That's the shift my mom work, worked. Yeah, she was great. Oh, she was good. He had some good day nurses too. Yeah. But anyway. So he gets so home. He stays what's for his, five months. What's his status when he gets home? You, His status have, was he, he shouldn't have ventilator? come home. No, no, but, but when <laughs> no, he got not, home, did he have to be on a ventilator? Did, no, I mean, just on oxygen. Okay. So he was on oxygen. He had monitors on his feet. He had a feeding tube up his nose. We fed him through a tube. He had another... He, he had one for... No, it was, his medication, his he, food was the same one. So, yeah, yeah, he just put everything down that he tube. Had, he had a, a nasal cannula so that he was breathing. He wasn't portable. He was attached to so many cords that he just kind of sat in the front room and we'd have to pick everything up and move it into the kitchen if we wanted to bring him in. So it was a really hard time, actually, to just... It was a pain. ...sit and know. I would look out our bay window and just see life passing down the street and I was stuck in my house. Because he couldn't go anywhere. How long was it before he, before he got off all the, oh, all two the years. cords and 
that long? You couldn't go out for two years. We did go out. He had a really long cord. It was, it was a cord that you could take all around the whole house. Oh wow! It was he was hooked to a, a tank about this big. Yeah. We had a portable tanks for taking him out it's about on five, but a five foot tank. Yeah. yeah, he had a huge cord, so he just reached all around the house and. But we didn't go out for a year and a half. We were quarantined for a year and a half, so. So he would go to church one week. I would go the next week. He Is, would go. Was he quarantined because he was hooked up to the machines or the just because he was so susceptible to was, disease? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they said. The three places you don't want to take him are church, the grocery store, and family parties. Right. And you're like, well, what else is there? The only place he went was the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) We'd take him to a doctor, which was probably not a great place either, but he had to go to the... He saw every doctor in the book about every other day. Right. Take him to the doctor a lot. So a year and a half. Wow, that's a long time to be cooped up in a house. It was. We got to the point where we could go out on the front yard. I remember we'd take the oxygen cord out the front door and we would sit on the front yard and let him be outside on the front yard. Yeah. At that point, when you were doing that, how much, like, how big was he? He was about five pounds when we brought him home. He was four and a half, about four pounds, actually. And I honestly don't remember. We have a picture. Somebody snapped a picture the first time we took him to church. We took him to church on Mother's Day at 18 months. And somebody snapped a picture of us and gave it to him. And he probably looks like he's about six months old at 18 months. He couldn't walk. He couldn't. He was standing on my. Yeah, he was standing. On my legs. Like that. So there's another grandma story involved in that one, too. We might as well share. We might might as well inspire people, right? So he never bore weight. Like, he just didn't. And so it was always, they always told us all the issues that he. He still doesn't. It's a twig. (laughs) Oh, he's got some meat on him now, but most babies at like two or three months or by six months, they put some weight on their feet. They call it bearing weight. And he hadn't done that at 10 months. He hadn't borne any weight. And that was always a concern. There's always these things we had to watch for, like, he's going to have cerebral palsy. He's going to be deaf. He's going to be blind. He's going to have all these issues or whatever. So cerebral palsy was a big one. And, you know, he needs to bear weight. And he didn't. So I had gone to church that day. And I came home, and Matt was sitting in the rocking chair, and he said, oh, Grandma Great called. That's what we called her. And I said, well, did you get Samuel on her prayer roll? Because anything Grandma prayed for, she got, for real. And he said, yeah, I did. I told her to put that on her prayer roll, that he wasn't bearing weight. And so Matt was going to, we swapped. Like, I would go to the first half of church, and then he would go to the second half. And so he reached down and picked up Sam and just stood him up for a minute, just held him, and Samuel stood and bore weight for the first time. At church? Nope, right there in our house, right right before Mm -hmm. Matt went to church, yeah. After Grandma Great had called, and we put her... her Put the request in. Put the request in, and and he bore weight for the first time at 10 (laughs) 10 Did she write those down, or did she just I don't know what she did. She probably just prayed, but... um, Because if she got everything she prayed for... I'm sure there's a lot of family members calling her. Hey, oh, you betcha. Can you? Yeah, I could use it right now, can actually. Can you put this in? <laughs> <laughs> For real. Yeah. Um, so he, like we had, we had family pictures taken when he was a year, and he had to, he couldn't sit up yet at a year. So his, we got a little picture of him, and he had to sit in like one of those donut things to hold him up. Right, those little boppy things or whatever the picture, they are. And yeah, he started scooting around. He could probably scoot at 18 months and. I remember taking him out for those family pictures and just thinking, oh, man, this is so on the edge. You know, we're, we're living on the we edge. We were in a park. Here. We yeah. took him in a park. But, um, yeah, he did start walking in about 22 months. 
he started walking and then he had his little oxygen cord that would go all around the house and he'd get stuck every time he went around the bar he'd scream he'd have to go unwind his oxygen cord and yeah he would uh <laughs> when he was he, he didn't know how to crawl but he knew how to roll really well and so he would roll and get the oxygen cord wrapped around his neck about six or seven times and he would get wherever he wanted to go by rolling so we'd always have to undo the cord. So we survived that whole two years just with other people actually helping us. Helping out. Mm-hmm. We had a great ward. Yep. People took our kids. Great group people. of friends. It was incredible. Yep. That was the only way that we made yeah. it through. The Windsor Middle Second Ward. Yep. He, he left his mark on them and they left their mark on us. Yeah. So. So he, he obviously progressed because now he's in high school and doing good um the best he can do yeah that's right hey he's he's doing good right that's right the best you can do that's all you expect that's That's all i expect from my kids that's right unfortunately they're not doing the best they can a lot of times no we like like, i remember they invited us back to a nicu nicu reunion Mm -hmm. and i don't know they have those i've never even heard of those i know it was weird i don't know why we got selected to go but once when we were there we just realized Wow, we are lucky because yeah. so many of the kids there were so much severely so. handicapped. They I were remember, in wheelchairs. They yeah. One morning when I was when he was in primary children's, I remember going up there and uh, seeing a family leaving that morning and just thinking, "Oh man, I wish I was them." And the spirit just said, "No, you don't. You, you're going to have. They're going to be much worse off than you." And uh, I didn't think that at the time. I just thought, oh, that's wishful thinking on my part. But no, it was, there were so many times when, when, you know, the Spirit would just tell us things or say things to us. And we would just, it just really did guide us throughout the whole thing. The whole thing was incredible because of, I mean, the fact that that all happened, but like you were saying, between the two, between the two um, jobs, that, you know, I was between jobs, so I had double insurance. We had the AFLAC. Oh, and then we, we picked up... Social Security or something. We picked because up Medicare. He had, yeah, he got, he got on Medicare. Because he never had left the hospital, so he was considered not part of a family. He was considered an individual unit with no income. So they picked him up, Medicare picked him up, so we had four insurances on him. He was his own family. So he cost about $750,000. And we didn't pay a dime. Thank you very much, Intermountain Healthcare, Desert Mutual Benefits <laughs> Administrators. And and, yeah, our Medicare. insurance did go up the next year considerably. I remember thinking that, just thinking, "Oops, sorry, everybody. That's probably because of us." And, but thanks for your thanks for helping out. That's right. right. <laughs> and you actually called DMBA once because we had an insurance issue. And well, I were, called him because we needed somebody at church because it was super hard when we brought him home. Actually, Matt and I didn't sleep. He he was on monitors and feeding tubes and stuff, and his monitor went off constantly because he never had enough oxygen. Or every time he moved, he didn't get oxygen. And so, yeah, there's a few stories there too. But anyway, so one lady at church said, she said, you need a nurse. You need a night nurse to come in and sleep with him. And so I called him to ask him about that. And the guy was, he was very kind. He just said, I've been watching you. I, I'm the one assigned you to your case, and I've been watching Samuel for the past five months like all of the he was the one who oversaw all of his bills and everything everything and right. they came in and he said I'm so sorry that's not something that we cover he said we cannot provide that for you but so we uh, 
kind of associated with that when, when Sam came home and his alarm was always going off. We were just, we could not sleep. I mean, well, we, we, were, just, we did shifts. So my sister jumped in on the shift. So I would take the first shift and go to bed and then Matt would get up for the next three hours and go to bed. And then my sister would get up for the next three hours. So he was covered for nine hours. But at we night. were just dead, tired, just exhausted. Like because, having a newborn. Yeah. Well, it was worse because <laughs> you were thinking, okay, if I go to sleep right now, he's going to he die. And then, so when it was time to go to sleep, you couldn't sleep because you were thinking it was going to die. And you're just like... Then oh. when it was your turn to go to sleep, you kept hearing the alarm go off anyway, and you're thinking... What's going on? Yeah. Do I need to get up and check on it? Yeah. I wonder if they're still asleep. It was yeah. horrible. So we uh, we were just exhausted. So I took took our boys one night, and I think I went to a Cub Scout thing and came home, and Amy's visiting teachers were there in the uh, in the living room just having a nice little visit with them, and they were super nice, Carrie Coca-Cola and Marty Cosley, and they were just great. And uh, and when I got home, they left pretty quick. And then after uh, maybe an hour later, they called back and said, hey, we want to get on our jammies tonight and come over and and uh, watch Sam Take a so shift. You guys can get us. you guys can get some sleep. <laughs> Did you go out to a hotel so you want to hear the alarm? Like, you know, I, I, the, the, the pride in me wanted to say no, but I just could not. I did not have the strength to say no. And I just kind of bawled and said, all right, come on over. And they did. And so we were telling our relatives about it. And my aunt. Another friend, too, when she heard about it, she said, okay, now I'm coming over with my sisters. We're coming over for a night. So Selena and her sister came over for a night. Yeah. and watched him so we could sleep and then it was your aunt when she heard about it so this is the aunt that lives in Brigham City so it was 45 minutes from our house and she is the mother of seven but her kids were grown so when she had had her last two kids they were twins and so at that and Annie her daughter oh was her last three well okay so anyway she'd had her twins and Matt's mom Matt was about 10 or 12 at the time Matt's mom had gone to Brigham City three times a week to go help. Right. Help her out with Aunt them. Louise with the twins for like... Because Grandma Great was on a mission. So she'd done that for, what, a year or something? Yeah, a long time. A long to time. me, it seemed like forever, and I was pretty ornery, selfish, and resentful. But my <laughs> mom was taking care of somebody else's family. Instead of you. That's right. Instead of your family. But so then at this point, Matt's mom has passed away. She passed away the year Sam was born. And so... So the aunt got to pay it forward. So the aunt came and visited us three times a week and helped me during the day take care of Sam and take take him to doctor's appointments. And I'd eat my pride. So when you take him to a doctor's appointment with all those hoses and all that on him, piece of work. You'd have to load everything in the car? That'd be terrible. It was terrible. That'd be terrible trying to do it alone. Yeah, she had had, had had good-sized guns. She was good. You can't carry very well, easily the, the, the baby. You have an and oxygen tank. You have monitors because he had monitors hooked to his feet too, and mm-hmm. a diaper bag and everything. Could you take the monitors off so that you could to like to put them in the car and then yeah and then put yeah them you on would have to or you could but because I only see you have two arms so I don't see how you could carry like five things. Yeah, you got really good straps. at it. Big yeah, things like that. Straps. So car seat, Ugh. oxygen, diaper bag, monitor. There are those right. Things that we took everywhere, well, um, to the doctor's offices. 
So we called her Aunt Wee's. My kids just started calling her Aunt Wee's. Her name was Louise, but they were young, so they just, Aunt Wee's came anyway three times a week. So she said, hey, I have a daughter who's not married, who has nothing to do. Right. She really did have stuff to do, but she said yeah. she wants to come three nights a week. And so... She had lots to do, actually. Instead of or also? Also. Also. So Aunt oh, Wee's wow. came during the day three times a week, and her daughter started coming three Rosie. times, three nights a week. Yep. And she would just stay up. She would she would she would spend the night with Sam. So we slept. She would take so the night shift. Three nights a week. Yeah, she we could would do her sleep. homework and yeah. And she would just because she was going to be up doing homework anyway. So it was awesome. I'm sure she wasn't, but <laughs> well, that's what she would <laughs> say, right? That's what you would say. Go. Yeah, she was just super <laughs> she nice. She did that. Thinking back on that, I cannot believe she did that. Yeah, she did that for months, actually. Yep. Wow. Kept us alive. So what are what are some of your takeaways from this experience? Um, like Amy? the one is that service is a continual round. It you give and you take and you give and you take and give and receive. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm You're calling in my back. service. Will you come give it to me <laughs> <Right>. now? <laughs> No, you give and you receive, and you give right. and you receive. And sometimes you're on the giving, and sometimes you're on the I enjoy the giving a lot receiving. more than receiving. Receiving is hard. It is. But it is. Very hard. Another thing was there were people who just came and did. And a lot of people afterwards would say, I, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say or how to help. And so they didn't, whereas other people... There Maybe was not a list. I mean, I know that there were lists being sent around, sign-ups for us, but there was a lot of people who didn't wait for a list. They right. just came. There was a lady who came and bleached my counters down every other day, or every day. She oh, would just wow. run in the house, bleach them down. There was another lady who would come and vacuum my carpets. They didn't. There was no list. They just would just... Another lady would come when her son was at preschool... She had two hours that she probably could have gone and done her shopping, but she right. came in for every every Thursday or whatever. She came and sat with me for two hours just to talk because I was flat right. on. So there were just people who just... Just served. And there were just little things. You don't have to do something big or you don't have to know what to do. Somebody brought right. me a treat basket here so you can have a treat right here. It's right here on your right by your couch. Right. When you want something to eat, it's right there. People just, hey, here's a loaf of bread. Here's... They just came and did it's better to do something versus nothing depends true i have mixed feelings about that comment (laughs) well rather than it's better to think what i don't know what to do so i'm not going to do anything it's better to ask yeah if you don't know better to ask i think Mm. or even just that year we got somebody did the 12 days of christmas to us and left something on our porch every night and that was just but a tender after he was home or before he had been born but he wasn't home right. he was in the hospital yeah that's what i mean he wasn't it wasn't that next year it was the no it was the, that right year. after he was born. yeah and there were just people who just people who just said hey i want your son every they would take trace yeah. i i want him every monday i want him every tuesday i'll take him every wednesday they did that for six months straight that, people who brought in dinner my sister every monday's my day Dinner's coming your way every Monday for right. six months. Yeah, people who just... 
be he willing to serve and be willing to accept the service, right? And there you go. And that was hard for him. One day somebody, we looked out there, they were mowing our lawn. They called and said, what can we do? And I said, mow the darn lawn for us. And Matt said, no, 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 I can do that. <laughs> On Christmas Day, And she came and president. mowed the lawn for us. Christmas wow. Day when Sam was supposed to die, our stake president was out there shoveling our snow. We had a huge storm that day. And what year was that? 2002. 2002. It was nice and sunny, I'm sure, here. That's where I was at. It was a huge storm, and we just thought, oh, great. Huge storm. He's going to die, and he was out there. What are some of your snow. takeaways, Matt? Well, that uh, one thing that I learned was... Uh, prayer is an act of aligning your will with God's. It's not necessarily getting what you want. There were times I would Unless think, Grandma. <laughs> yeah, well, that point. was a Grandma lesson. Great. If you can't, there was, I had lost faith. Honestly, I had. And when you can't rely on your own faith, you can, you can lean use, on someone else's. You can, yeah. yeah. And I, I just remember thinking, what's the purpose of prayer? If it's just like, Okay, God, thy will be done. Then why do I even pray and seek out my own will? And uh, but you know, if you look in the Bible dictionary about prayer, it talks about prayer as a form of work, and it's it's our act of of aligning our God's will. Some blessings are reserved for our petitioning. Some blessings come independent of our petitioning. But when you seek to know God's will and and you you know, so, some blessings are just contingent, and we were—we didn't realize it at the time, because we were in out in the wilderness. It was—you were in the hard. thick of it. We, we through the mud. We didn't know how it was going to end, and right. you know, whoever knows how life is going to end. And we—we we just really thought, okay, this is going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. Is that really—is that just me, or is that really? Did did I really hear that? And you asked me that. Well, I didn't hear that. You heard that. You so asked I me had that. to ask you over and over again, did you really hear that? Are you sure that this is going to be okay? And I would just always say, yeah. yeah. I'd say, all right, I'm believing in you. But I was like, okay, does that mean it's going to be better in the afterlife? Or what, what does it's going to be okay mean? You know, I never knew what that was. And so you just kind of have to keep going, keep going. And every day is a keep going. And... You know, I it just really strengthened my faith in in the influence of the Holy Ghost in God's orchestration that He's in the details of our lives. That prayer does matter. That it is the form of aligning our will with His, whether it's our subjecting our will to His or uh, calling upon Him for blessings that are contingent upon our asking and our faithful obedience. Um, and really just a willingness to do hard things. And it's paid off. Sam is just a great kid. He is. He is. You know, he always he always going. catches up. He's he has his delays, but he always catches up and he's he's always positive and always, you know, just a happy if you ask him to do something, he never he's no never attitude. in his life. He's never had an attitude. He's never in his life said no, Dad or complained or whined about it he just gets up he always wants to share if he has something you always get what he has he he never eats the last bite 
anything. He probably can't. That's right. He didn't have a lot of room <laughs> in his stomach, but he was, it was like his way of getting rid of the food on his plate. But he, he's just a really good kid, and, you know, it was, there were lots of times where we're like, oh, man, this is, this is the worst but then, when you're like in holidays, it, right? they were hard because we couldn't, yeah. we didn't go together. Matt yeah. would take the older boys and go visit his family on Christmas, and I would stay home. And I would stay home on Christmas. Would Eve. you get to go and visit your family on Christmas too? On Christmas Eve, Matt would stay home with Eat. Sam, and I would take the boys and go. So we just had to split up holidays for Thanksgiving, Church. Christmas, Easter, everything. We just didn't do anything as a family. Where someone always had to stay home with Sam. We, but so that just made us appreciate things, though, because you know you couldn't take you, we, it's easy to take that stuff for granted. So it was just very going through the refiner's fire, as you right. all know, increases your it's appreciation. Not easy, though. Yeah, it just it's more hard work. It really is, and but that's mortality. That is part of life. Is keep going. You do it for your family. You do it right. for the the people that matter most to you. You got to find a reason. You got to find, you know, I, I think we had our reason, but really the spirit, we were really listening and seeking the spirit and trying to know what to do. And do we terminate his life or do we roll the dice and see if you live? Looking back on it, you guys made the right decision because you made it. You know what? It's a tough, people have been in that situation before. I remember we got a phone call and somebody, they'd lost their water and kind of wanted and didn't know what to do. And my thought was, oh boy. Like, oh boy, I don't want to. You do not want. <laughs> you don't want somebody else telling you what to do. You don't want to go through it. That was what I was thinking. I was like, right. Baby. Yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah. That feeling of, oh boy, there. It it reminds you what what you went through, right? It's right. And it's very vivid. Very. It's almost like you're in it again, yeah. but you're not. But you can remember all the things you had to go through and how tough it was and. That's the that's the tough part. It really is. But it's also the part that I think makes you um, grateful for the experience, too. Because mm-hmm. you learn a lot about yourself, right? Yep. Um, so that's, well, yeah, that's kind of... strengthens your faith in God. If For me, it did. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, After it, it us, didn't. It took us he to the a, extreme. He was aware... It took us, it, it, but it is, it truly is in our extremities that we, that we come to know God. You don't know God as well when you're in your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You come to know him in your extremities. And he pushes you there and you get to go there, but he also prepares a way for you. And even if that way isn't your way, his way is not our way. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. And we have to just kind of go along for the ride, but do the best that we can to navigate it. But. So what I'm just hearing is that you wouldn't want to go through it again. No. No. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. After we, I remember actually it was, I started writing a book about it, the book of Samuel, lessons learned from the book of Samuel, but there was an actual day, and I don't know the date of that day, but I remember going out of my house and looking back at my house and realizing it's over. I just stepped out of that book. It's done. Like now that it was I mean, we still have Samuel, but that crisis time that we lived in was done. Was it refreshing? It was a weird feeling. I mean, we'd been in it for two years plus where you kind of live. I mean, 
you just live on adrenaline and right. I couldn't even think of one moment at a time. Yeah. I had a list of things on my fridge to make for dinner. It was grilled cheese sandwich. I couldn't even come up with anything for dinner. I couldn't even think that every day was so intense that it was like I had to have it written down to make a grilled cheese sandwich for my family. Yeah, but, it was, it, one thing that was interesting as well was the premonitions you had about Samuel before he even came. Mm-hmm. You were ch- changing Trace's diaper and remember... You it had, was. I had a like a neon light sign that just kind of kind of just floated through my brain. It said, Baby Samuel. And I thought, what? Because I'm not having a baby. I don't have my babies close together because they're super hard kiddos. I remember thinking, whatever, all right, have another baby, I'll name it Samuel. <laughs> and so I remember telling him that when we were thinking of what to name, what should we name this kid? I said, well, how about Samuel? <laughs> how was that? But Did then you- I thought, why, why, why would that have happened so early? on i wasn't pregnant i wasn't thinking of having a child why did i have baby samuel and what i realized was that if i had had that when i was pregnant or thinking of a name i wouldn't have recognized that that wasn't my own thought that that wasn't my thought to name him samuel so that's one reason maybe i had that earlier or else maybe I was supposed to have so it sooner. Recognize. So all yeah. this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> you know, we, we also later on, we were reading the scriptures, or somehow we found this in in the book of First uh, Samuel, when, when Hannah uh, says, where in First Samuel chapter 120, says, Wherefore it came to pass that when time was come about, after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. We thought, that's really fitting for Sam, because we'd asked him of the Lord. And uh, there were those kinds of things. There was a talk that Elder Wickman gave in a general conference that really sustained us during that time in October 2002, uh, where he talked about his own experience with losing a son. But if not, and how he had to come to, you know, be willing to, to subject his will to Heavenly Fathers and to let his son go and so we were wondering do we have to do the same and there were so many things where the Lord just kind of led us by the hand and gave us little things whether it was the words of of church leaders or the actions of neighbors or the scriptures themselves there were just lots of ways that we were blessed and sustained financially yeah it was afterwards even he was on special formula and super pricey yeah and he had to get these shots every month that were super pricey and the doctor he said, hey, I know how you can get those shots. Um, There's a place in Mexico. No. <laughs> I can't even remember now what he said, but there's, he said, your, maybe it's through your mail order med. There's a maximum on everything, and you can order them. And so he helped us get these shots. They were hundreds and hundreds of dollars per shot, and instead the max they could charge us on them was 60 bucks or something. And formula... Yeah, the super um, I think mega he formulas. said, hey, are you on WIC? Because if he's on Medicaid, you get WIC, and WIC's going to cover your formula. Yep. your formula for you. And so just all throughout, and then people would pump milk mm-hmm. and bring it to me and say, here. <laughs> I had a freezer full of pumped milk from other people. 
That's super nice. So anyway, yeah, there was just lots of. We could go on forever. We really could. There was a lot of, a lot of things. That Did you ever finish that book of Samuel? No, it's sitting on my computer. You still have it, though. Yeah. How far did you get along on it? Well, I probably have ten pages written. Maybe you can transcribe a little <laughs> discussion tonight. <laughs> I think everything we talked about is in there. I know. I need to just write probably it more. write it up for family history and just because Samuel doesn't know. Samuel has no idea of all that of everything that took place. He knows some stuff, obviously, that you talk about. That yeah, he does. Yeah. He knows. He it's, knows. It's funny. Special. It's funny that you're writing a book because I did. I started the same thing and I never finished it either. And I probably had. I didn't type it though. I wrote it in a notebook. I have the notebook still. Hmm. And just of everything that that happened with my situation and mm-hmm. um. And at some point, the same thing. You, you get to a point and. It wasn't important to me anymore, mm. where it was before. Yeah. So. I've just been lazy, actually. I know that I, the whole time I knew that I should be doing that. And right. now it's been so long, I probably can't remember half of it. But even just for family history, I need to, I need to write it down. Have that. Yeah. I think the so. act of writing has a healing quality to it as well, though, because you're able to, to look at it. The act of podcasting does, yeah, too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. We're here to heal, brother. Right. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I agree. It's very it's very therapeutic, writing it, writing it down, going over those thoughts again, those feelings you had, um, whether it's writing it or just talking about it in general. I, I found it very therapeutic myself. So Indeed. But I appreciate you guys sitting down with me tonight and uh, being so open about talking about this. I know it's a tough, tough thing to talk about sometimes, so I appreciate it. That's you a good betcha. thing. Yeah. And we're happy yep. to have an association with our brother, Lee Steele. <laughs> it's uh, definitely uh, something that I've enjoyed listening to and uh, learning. So, appreciate it. You. All right. That's a wrap. So, that's a wrap. Thank Everyone, you. thanks for listening. Uh, tune into the next podcast. Thanks. Bye.